0: And let's just clear all that. And here we go. Welcome, my amazing community here on YouTube. Um, it's me, Lucia Gabriela and today we have another amazing interview with an amazing uh, woman that I've been following for the past couple years. She is incredible. She does uh, she does a lot of great work to this community. And uh, I'm just in love and I'm so honored to have her here today. Her name is Francesca Gentile and we're going to be talking about sexy sexual healing at home or abroad. Yay! My favorite topic! Sexuality and especially sexual healing. So thank you so much um, Francesca for joining me today.
1: I'm so happy to be here. I just um, am excited. I think you're beautiful and wonderful and and as you said, it's such a great topic. Sexually- it, is, it is an awesome topic. <laughs> if you have questions,
0: please, on Facebook, YouTube, just give me the questions and we're going to ask as much as we can. You know, like we create stuff for you guys to. So you can really empower yourself, reclaim your sexuality, your sexuality to really tap into that inner creative power. So that is my passion, um, that's my purpose, that is my commitment to humanity, that is my work. <laughs> but, and I bring you amazing people to share their tools and what they do and how you can really heal yourself at a deeper, deeper level. So, Francesca, please share with us um, more about yourself and like what, you,
1: what do you do and how you help our community. Thank you. So, you know, like many of us, we've had trauma in our lives. We had things happen to us uh, as children, sometimes as young people, uh, sometimes in our adulthood that were either sexually confusing or traumatic. And in my case, I had a long-term partner that came out as gay. and I also had a father that asked me to be his lover, and I said no. But and that was very traumatic for me that that happened. Both of those things, which happened in my uh, teens and twenties, really had me start asking, how do we make these sexual choices? How do we, how how do we sometimes, uh, as in the case of my father, how do we even come up with an idea that you know it might be okay? to make that kind of an offer to a child. And those curiosities led me to psychology, they eventually led me to uh, study somatics, trauma, shamanism, tantra, Taoism, and to really look at all these different places that have traditions of sexual healing and look at the ways that they are similar, look at the ways that they're different, and really weave them together for myself because i think that the integrity of being a healer for other people is also engaging in our own inner work so um, you know the early 20s etc 20s 30s a lot about my own healing and in my 40s it started to come out towards the healing of others and by the way for myself i find that i've never done healing and i've never done learning and it does get better you know the it used to feel like there was a knife in my heart that was constantly turning. I was always in emotional pain, and that knife is gone. Yay! <laughs> so that's a little bit of a background about me, uh, and I you know, I could say that I study with the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and the universities that I've gone to, et cetera, um, and maybe we'll get more into some of that, but I think the important thing that I would say to you the people that are watching and listening, is that you're already on the path. If you're here, you're on the path. If you're already on the path, then you're on the road to greater and greater healing. If you're suffering right now, I promise you keep walking, it's going to get better. Keep studying, keep healing, keep being unstoppable about getting the support that you need. And hopefully today you'll be hearing some concrete practices that you can take home that will even start to help or resources that will really help you and if you're someone who wants to be a healer or you already are a healer and you're thinking I really want to help people who have trauma because 40% of us have uh, in our country in the United States were raised in families or environments with severe emotional, physical, sexual, and or spiritual abuse and trauma. And there's some that are saying that that's growing, so it may even be 50% now. And really, that's like every other person. So every other person that we're at a party with, every other person at the bar, every other person that we're shopping with, every other person that's driving past us in a car, every other person is carrying this intense suffering. And when we look at the amount of uh, addiction or compulsivity, Uh, food, drugs, alcohol, shopping, gambling, uh, you know, all the places that we go to self-soothe. And and let me just out myself by saying that uh, I am a recovering compulsive overeater. So one of my ways to self-soothe since childhood when I would feel that knife in my heart would be to to eat, you know, to eat in many cases until my own body hurt so that I could, uh, you know, it would take me away from the emotional pain because I was in physical pain. And I'm also recovering sex and love addict and uh, I didn't discover that until I was almost 40 where I started to look at that I could never be without a relationship and that I was always kind of hunting for the next relationship. And when I had uh, a little bit of integrity, I would uh, develop friendships, male friendships, while I was in my current relationship. And when I had no integrity, I would literally have an affair behind the back of my partner. But I would justify it, you know, because when I was in the addiction, you always justify that you can have your fix. And, uh, and it was when one of my partners, he, we dated just a couple months, and he noticed that there was some way that I was being with him, you know, that I needed more and more time with him, that I, that I was becoming more and more kind of nervous, like, where were you and where did you go? And you know, I want more time with you. And he, he pointed out to me, he said, there's something about the way that you're you know, treating me, Francesca. And there's something about this relationship that feels unhealthy to me, that feels compulsive. And I'm breaking up with you now so that there's a chance later. And when he when he left, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I I just was in this, this this uh fog. And because I had already gone through twelve step for food, when I uh my relationship with food, when I noticed the way I was being with the breakup, that's when I realized I said, Francesca, you're not grieving you are actually in withdrawals you're going through withdrawals from this person and when i noticed that i was in withdrawal then i went to 12 step for sex and love addicts anonymous and really started to get clear and get clean about the way that i was treating love and relationships and for me my favorite high you know like if i just love someone you know i can totally love you and say oh i love you or even feel like i'm in love with you but as long as there's not that sexual lust, I, I, I'm I fine. Now I can even lust for you. I can be like, ooh, you're hot. You're like, you're really hot. But as long as I don't feel love, I'm also pretty centered. But my favorite high is if you put love, like I'm in love with you and I lust you, if you put those two things together, that's my heroine. And when you put those two things together, that's when i would start to treat you like a fix like i had to have you i had to have more of you i would break agreements with myself and others in order to get more of you because that was my high so that was a big wake-up call it was a big uh, journey to come to center and uh and as i don't know about your higher power or your divine guidance but i think my divine guidance has a sense of humor so while I was actually coming into uh, sobriety around sex and love was actually the time that I was studying Tantra. So in Tantra, you're, you look into people's eyes and you see the beloved in them. and A lot of American Tantra, by the way, this is not world Asian Tantra, but American Tantra is very sexually focused. Um, actual Tantra is a spiritual path, not a sexual path. But in America we've made it a sexual path. So in um, American Tantra, there's all, always a lot of um, eye gazing and you know, breathing. <sighs> <sighs> you know, and like breathing each other's pheromones and you know, just feeling so connected but so turned on. But so connected but so turned on. And you know, so everybody, you know, in these like Tantra circles, some of the ones that I were in, you know, they're getting really high together. And you know, in many cases they're going into these, you know, sexual encounters. And because I'm in twelve step for sex and love ethics, you know, I'm like I'm having to go, Okay, I see the I, I see divine beloved in you, but I need to ground. Like I need to pull my energy back and ground. And I need I see that and I honor that, but I but I'm going to stay centered in me. And wow, you're smelling really good right now. And you are really cute. And I'm going to pull my energy back and I'm going to stay centered in me while honoring you. And it sometimes it was painful. It was almost physically painful to practice pulling my energy back and grounding versus letting myself like, oh, you know, just kind of fall into the other person. And I would say that that itself was a huge amount of your, <laughs> which is laughing. I can see her laughing And, so, and that was a huge amount of my training to actually be a great sexual healer because mm-hmm. when you're in a sexual healing container with someone you know they may be getting turned on or they might not I mean they could be crying they could be laughing they could be uh, in arousal they're going to be they could be angry they're going to be in whatever they need to be in and that pulling my energy back and keeping it here but heart open allow me to build a muscle to be a container for another person's experience so Mm -hmm. i can see them i can honor them but not be hooked by them which i would say is one of the main muscles if you're listening and you're thinking i want to be a sexual healer for other people that is one of the main muscles is being able to be a heart open sacred witness for another person's experience without getting triggered and triggered could be aroused when they're aroused. Trigger is not just negative. You could say that every time we fall in love with someone, we're triggered. We're triggered by our projection because we usually have this sense of falling in love very quickly, very unconsciously, and so love can be a trigger, lust can be a trigger, anger is a trigger, you know, sadness can be a trigger, fear can be a trigger. So to be a sexual healer for another person, we're learning to pull our energy back. I literally think of breathing breathing in and imagining that my energy can be pulled back inside toward the back of you know towards my spine but in from the inside and that I'm heart open that I I, in a sense I'm almost in my tower with the doors and windows open and I can see you and I can honor you and I'm in me I'm in me and honoring you and I saw you laughing a little bit before, so tell me a little bit about that laughter. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, it's interesting. Uh,
0: it's honestly,
1: it is. Um,
0: yeah, if you want to give a distinction here, like what uh, we're talking with Francesca, is there's this beautiful, central sexuality that we can play with. And like when you talk about the integrity of of being who we are as humans and and catalysts, some of, you know, some people would say we're more catalysts than um, the human right. Um, it, it, I was, I was yelling and laughing at it because I do recognize, even even ask myself sometimes, you know, there is this space and time to be the playful and the genetic, you know, sensual sexual person with your partner. If with those who you agree to have a playful, you know, um, and sometimes you're watching me on Facebook, you know, we talk about about the energetic polyethylene, right? You know, we call it like, like, you know who you do it. you're a big man, you just have fun, and it's just playful. So when you mention about the role I gaze in and the whole thing and energy, I can really see like a lot of us do it, I think, mean, is, you know, for the play of it. But what you put in the true integrity of the work that we do is that when we're doing this for other people, like, I totally you with is that it's about centering yourself and be that container for them to really be the one that they heal, they activate, and they do all this, you know, juicy stuff for themselves. And we hold that container for them. Where we are not really interacting uh, but we hold in the container. And one of the things I want to share is that, you know, that is one of the things that I feel like sometimes for people who want to be sexual healers, is that there's this whole confusion about what is out there. There's no integrity to the work that we're doing. And I'm going to say it loud because it, it is time for, you know, all of us, you know, people like you, people like me who are working with integrity of the energy, it, it is time that people yeah. recognize right, right, right that to do the work that of sexual healing is, is not about like like you brought it home. It's not about like oh changing the energy back and forth and I'm playing with the energy of the client or the person who can heal and all that stuff. But you said it clearly it's about being in that container and holding the space for that sexual healing experience to happen as their higher self uh you know you know is in there. And and we are to be of service, and I totally like. I was giggling because I can see that happening, and I can see that happening I've seen it. So yeah, it was interesting because I really appreciate what you bring in into the concept right now for people who are interested of even working with sexual healers. The true education of it, like the true wisdom and knowledge about it, is not something that you're gonna go have a sexual healing experience, meaning that the petitioner is going to go and, and you know, play with you and, and whatever, and even have sex
1: with you, whatever that is, whatever that is, or whatever it is. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there's a difference. There's a difference between, uh, I think you said it beautifully, between sexual play, sexual engagement, sexual merging, and sexual healing. And, and I would like to distinguish that a little bit more because I believe that we can even be sexual healers for our partners at home and it and it's distinct. It's distinct from just getting together to have sex. It's It could be the difference, I, I often like food metaphors, it's the difference between, you know, maybe you're just throwing something in the microwave and you're, um, and you're just heating it up in a second and going, here, honey. <laughs> you know, versus if you're saying, oh, this is a special occasion, I'm going to spend all day cooking, I'm I'm going to get fresh organic food, I'm going to set the table, I'm going to light candles, I'm going to put on music, I'm really going to make sure that this is, is, is an organic feast for all the senses. And how we feel in our body afterwards is is different than if we just heated something up. In the microwave, and imagine that it's not just the difference between you know this quick thing and this beautiful, spacious uh, feast, but also imagine that I'm serving you. So I'm not even going to eat. It's just for you. This whole experience is just for you. It's not about me. It's not against me. It's for you. And you know there might be other times that we'll eat together, but this one is for you
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's the really that's the distinction a second I have a little frog in my throat that's the distinction is is this something for us together or is this something for you and I had a partner uh, that I discovered needed sexual healing and really sometimes it's a discovery sometimes we don't know sometimes in the in a, a, a relationship, we can have recovered memories. So it's not like we always go right into the relationship and know right away that I need sexual healing or that you need sexual healing. Sometimes we do know. But in our case, he was someone that I dated, very lovely man who was a martial artist, a bodybuilder, you know, very beautiful physique. And he had studied zoggen tantric Buddhism which is not sexual which is a spiritual path and um, but he knew meditation, he knew breathing and we would we would sit together and run energy and there's this concept in Tantra of sharing or running energy. Once again that's not sexually healing it's fun, it's profound, it's intimate, it can be beautiful And it's not particularly how I'm going to define sexual healing. And we had beautiful sharing of this flow of energy. And if you're thinking about how to do that one, uh, in metaphysics, energy follows intention. We're even finding that in quantum physics. So energy follows intention. So if you're sitting with your partner and you'd be sitting face to face and you would put your one... One person is sitting in lotus, so their legs are crossed. The other person puts their legs around around their partner and is sitting on their lap. This is called yab yum, Y-A-B, Y-U-M. And in that position, you can even put your foreheads together and you start to breathe together or breathe alternately. So one person breathes out, the other person breathes in. And you can imagine that this energy is going up You know, through your forehead into the forehead of your partner, down their body, you know, through their genitals into your genitals, up and around again. And as you're doing that with your partner, as you practice, you do start to feel it. You start to feel this sense of this energy that's moving through your bodies. And it can be very intimate, it can be very arousing, it can be very wonderful. And that's not specifically sexual healing. So we had done that. We had done this beautiful sharing of energy. We had shared life stories. We you know, we were very in love. And we were waiting to have sex. We wanted it to be a very special, uh, a special day, not just thrown away, but very special. And we picked my birthday. and we got together, and their candles were lit, and the music was playing. And we undressed each other for the first time. and he had a gorgeous erection. And I was very, you know, I was excited. And then he entered me, and I thought, his penis is missing. This this is weird. (laughs) I just saw it a moment ago, and it was really lovely, but I'm not feeling anything. Now, because I have my own trauma, I thought maybe I'm disassociating. You know, maybe I'm through trauma, we actually part of our energy leaves our body. And many of us who've had trauma can find it difficult to, in a sense, stay present in our bodies when we're having sex. Sometimes, once again, addictively, we turn to drugs or alcohol or, you know, a little pot or something, you know, to try to get us back into our bodies. And But if we're just stone cold sober and trying to have sex, you know, the men can feel like they can't get or maintain an erection because they're not really in their body. They're not really in their energy. Or we can feel like we can't, we're not staying lubricated, or we can feel like we can't come to an orgasm once again because we're not fully in our bodies and if you're like me you might even be thinking did I lock the car did I take the laundry out of the dryer you know and instead of being there with my partner I'm actually my mind is going into all these different places so you know I thought well maybe I'm not fully in my body so I, I just checked you know energy follows intention I checked you know am I in my vulva am I in my feet one of my favorite ways to come back into my body when I'm having sex is to say, can I feel my feet? Can I feel my vulva? Relax the jaw, Francesca, relax the belly. And then I'll say to myself, it's safe to be here. And if for some reason I cannot say to myself, it's safe to be here, then I probably shouldn't be there. But if I can say, you know, relax the jaw, relax the belly, feel my vulva, feel my feet, it's safe to be here, Then suddenly I'm back into my body, and suddenly I can feel uh, what's happening to my body, you know, in engagement with my partner. Well, I did that, and I thought, nope, his penis is still missing. Hmm. And we (laughs) had sex a couple of times, his penis was missing the entire time, and the next morning, uh, very delicately, I asked him, Honey, have you ever had any trauma with your phallus? You know, that could be physical, like in sports or something, you know, where you were hit. That could be emotional, where, you know, something about your phallus or your sexuality was shamed. That could be, you know, energetic. You know, if some families have even emotional incest, where there's just a very icky energy that's in the family. Um, Maybe touch doesn't happen, but... Sometimes the you know the child the, the parent could say oh come look at pornography with me or something I mean like or something like that or you know maybe it's not always the parent sometimes it's someone you know in the environment a teacher or you know a, a, a religious figure and they don't touch them but there's uh, one of one of my clients was asked to take off their clothes in front of the priest and so even though touch didn't happen there was still that sense of being incested. And uh, be molested. So uh, I asked him, and sometimes there can be also religious trauma where the religion shames, shames the body and shames the sexuality. One of my clients also came from a very fundamentalist religion. And he was so shamed as a young boy, not specifically, but just in the culture, you know, that sex was bad and sex was dirty and sex outside of marriage would send you to the devil and, and masturbation was, you know, from the devil. And he was so frightened that he would uh, go to sleep with his jeans on and his belt and like try to padlock his pants so that he wouldn't touch himself. At night and there was just like such a sense, yeah, such a profound sense of shame. So I asked him, you know, if there was any of that and he said yes. He said that when he was a little boy, maybe four or so, there was like a little next-door neighbor boy and they used to play, you know, in the sandbox and they used to play, you know, baseball and they would just play games. But he didn't tell me the specifics, so this part I'm imagining. You know, I'm imagining that as they're playing games, at some point, maybe they're having peeing contests, like, I can pee further than you can. Or maybe they're having, you know, I'll let you touch mine if you let me touch yours. Or, you know, they're having these little exploratory games. And by the way, that's not considered traumatic. As long as the children are of the same age and are, like, in an innocent exploration, it's it's just considered part of you know part of growing up. It's, there's nothing abusive or traumatic in that. So that was actually not the trauma. And he told me that at some point the two of them even became lovers. You know they were like seven or so, and they became lovers, which is also not considered traumatic. Once again, it was an innocent exploration that ended up just evolving. Uh, but when uh, they were, I think he said around eight or nine, this little boy. Came over to his house and said, "I don't want to be your friend anymore, and your penis is ugly." And that was the first time that you know anyone had ever said anything particular about his penis, and it was his little best friend lover. So it was so traumatic for him. I just my back is hurting right at my heart as I say this. You know, it was so traumatic for him. That at that point, he split. He split his energy system from his phallus. And I said that. I said, You know, sweetheart, I think that your phallus is not part of the rest of your energy system. When you and I would run energy, I would actually feel you. But I think that moment had you say, I'm ashamed of this part of me. This part of me doesn't belong to me. And as we continued to talk, what I discovered is he had cheated on all of his relationships. Uh, There was, uh, you know, just so much pain there. And later in our relationship, when I was explaining about being a sex and love addict, and I was saying, you know, to be a sex and love addict means that I have to have it, I have to have it, and then I'll find this person and I'll just get all entranced with that person and I'll want more of them and more of them. And break agreements with myself or others to get more of them, but then after a while the high wears off, as a high always will, and and then when the high wears off, I feel like they betrayed me. I feel like, you know, they're not who I thought they were, and then I justify, you know, I justify starting a new relationship or having an affair. And as I was explaining this, he said, "Stop." I said, "Okay." He said, "You're talking about me." And I said, pretty sure I'm saying me, my life, my experience. And He said, nope, you're talking about me. And I said, oh, so I think you're saying that you see yourself in what I'm sharing, that, that you feel similarly. And he said, yes, that's, that's how it is for me, except it's more sexual. So for him, it was more, more towards sex addiction and not quite as much towards sex and love. And by the way, you could have the whole spectrum. You could be a sex addict. You could be a love addict. You could be a fantasy addict. You know, always falling in love with someone who's unattainable. You could be a sex and love addict like me. You know, there's a lot of options here for self-soothing that ultimately never really get us what we want. And so he said that, yes, he was that. And I said, well, now that you see that, is there anything you want to do? And he asked me how I worked with it. And and then I was able to help him design his life and look at it in a new way. But that wasn't the sexual healing either. So getting back to the sexual healing, when I recognized that his phallus wasn't part of his energy system, I asked, would you want to collaborate with me in bringing healing to this? And he said yes. Now, this is really key, what I just said. Would you want to collaborate with me? Because I cannot save, fix, or change, or heal another person. I cannot save, fix, change, or heal another person. Neither can you. It's not our job. It's actually not my job to save you, heal you, fix you, change you. It's yours. Just like it's my job to save me, and to heal me, and to transform my life. But we can collaborate. Mm-hmm. But I can't make you, you can't make me. I've got a very strong inner rebel. If you even try to make me, I'll be like, fuck you. You don't get to make me. So, you know, yeah, that won't work. But we can collaborate. So it's very important to understand, once again, that difference. We're not saving someone. We're not fixing them. We're collaborating to the extent that they're ready, willing, and able. So he said yes. And this other piece about that conscious asking and the yes which we're now talking a lot about is consent, how important is consent. Well, I want to weave in another layer of how important is consent. Because when we receive trauma, especially when we receive abuse, but really any trauma, consent was missing. So I didn't want to be hit like that. I didn't want to be yelled at like that. I didn't want to be sexualized like that shamed like that so when abuse happens my consent is missing when your abuse happened your consent was missing so an absolutely crucial nutrient in you know quote-unquote being a sexual healer for someone is actually returning authority to them and more often than not I need to be asking. uh, So, when I'm when I'm doing a sexual healing session, and this could be for my partner as well, uh, I'm going to say the bed. So we're going to say the partner, but you could imagine the bed could also be the massage table. So, uh, oh, I'm going to back up. I forgot. Backing up even further. Regardless of whether it's a bed or a massage table, I'm going to say to the person. We've got we've got this room here, and maybe there's a chair in the room, or maybe there's a couch in the room, or maybe there's a massage table or a bed or you know, a couple of options in the room. So we're, you know, we would like to be collaborated with in sexual healing. Where would you like this to happen? And so I've had people say I'd rather stand up or I'd rather be on the floor, or you know, and so I'm not attached. It's not about me. It doesn't have to be the bed it doesn't have to be the massage table there's no have to here there's no have to here because it's not about me it's not about what I want it's not about what's comfortable for me unless there's a boundary I mean it's also important to model healthy boundaries so if they asked me something that I literally couldn't do because of a boundary of mine then I also need to speak to that not against you but you know I can't because of my own boundary. um And there's so many pieces here, healthy boundaries, which very few of us were taught, are for me, not against you. So most of us were taught boundaries through the archetype of the tyrant. You don't get to treat me that way. That's not okay, back off. Bam, you know, it's like a boundary that pushes against the other person. That's how most of us were taught boundaries, by our parents, by authority figures. So now we're the adult, we're the parent, and what are we doing? Bam! You know, you don't get to treat me that way. Spare the rod and spoil the child, which is, in my perception, not additive. I have a 23-year-old son, 23-year-old son. He graduated from college with over 3.4 average. He had a learning disability, he still has it. And I did, I think you can see my arm, I did that twice in his entire 23 years once because he was hitting me <laughs> and I just went just to kind of wake him up he was like oh and I said I don't like being hit do you like being hit he said, oh. and I said you know we could be in a family where we hit each other because some families are like that or we could be in a family that doesn't hit each other which family would you like and he said the one where we don't hit each other and I said yay because I want that one too and then he never struck me again, you know. So, And then the other time was he had uh, shoplifted something, and I saw him, and I, he, was hold, he was actually holding it in his pocket, and I went, we don't steal. But other than that, in 23 years, that's it. And in 23 years, I've never even raised my voice to him. And I've taught him to be honest, to treat women with kindness, to understand what consent is, to be a gentleman. And none of that needed to happen with me yelling at him, making him wrong, or hitting him. Try on that the role of an adult is to actually model poor, gracious behavior. So to actually model the future. So I want him to grow up to be kind and gracious. Guess who needs to be kind and gracious? I want him to grow up to be honest. Guess who needs to be honest? So there's really um, a responsibility if we want to be great parents to do our inner work so that we are great human beings. So, So when we're, you know, if I need to set a boundary, I say, I even gave myself timeouts with my son. I'm like, I'm getting mad. So I'm taking myself to the other room and I'm giving myself a timeout because you don't deserve my anger. No one deserves my anger. My anger has a message for me. Emotions are the messenger, not the message. My emotions come to give me messages. Anger lets me know that maybe I've, I've I've, crossed my own boundary. By the way, as adults, more often than not, we cross our own boundaries, or we collude. We collaborate with another person in crossing our own boundaries. In the United States, I'm not saying all countries, but even when I've been in an abusive relationship, and I have been... I would go into a trance where I felt powerless. But when I came out of that trance, I went, wait a second, I really don't, I'm not forced to be here. This person is not chaining me to the bathroom door. This person, they might threaten me. They might even slap me. You know, they're doing whatever they're doing. But I actually am free to leave. I just feel like I'm powerless. And by the way, sometimes that took me two years of therapy to get to that point where I finally came out of the trance and realized that I was Powerful, rather than powerless. And, you know, if one is actually, and this can happen, and we've, you know, where someone is chained, you know, to the bathroom, or, you know, when those kinds of things happen, yes, we're powerless. And I would say that there's a healthy percentage of us that feel powerless when we're not. That we're in a powerless trance and we have more choices than we realize and when i set boundaries i will say this is not against you this is for me like i understand why you might feel like you're angry and why you even might feel like you want to yell it and it's not healthy for me to be yelled at it breaks my own trusting relationship with myself to receive that. So not against you, but for me, if you start to raise your intensity or you start to raise your voice, I'm going to need to you know, even give myself some time out because I can't be here with that and still stay in a loving relationship with myself. So I am setting a boundary around me to maintain my loving relationship with myself and then I don't need to make you wrong about anything because making another person wrong that's the tyrant and that that actually creates more toxicity more anger more hurt in the planet but when I say hey these are my boundaries they're about me they're about having a healthy relationship with me then that's just my truth and sometimes Sadly, it's not possible for me to stay close to you in relationship and have a healthy relationship with me. This was very sad. In my life, I chose to stay separate from my family most of the time because I didn't feel that I could maintain a healthy relationship with myself and be close to them. I felt that that was an extremely sad choice and that I still had to choose maintaining a healthy relationship with myself. Hmm. So sometimes that will mean that we literally need to separate from a person. Uh, But getting back to my sweetheart, so let's say he chooses the bed. Then he might say, should I take my clothes off or not? And the client might say the same thing. They'll say, should I take my clothes off or not? And I say, I don't know, it's not (laughs) about me. What feels right to you? And I tell my clients or my partner, if we spent the whole two hours, and my sessions are two hours, whether it's with my partner or with a client, if we spent the whole two hours with you just trying to figure out what was right for you, that would be a success. Because if you're stepping over what's right for you to try to please me, then you're replicating your own abuse because many times under abuse, we start to become people pleasers. It's like, how can I please the narcissist in my family? How can I please the bipolar person? How can I please the person who's actually beating me or the person who's molesting me? You know, I, ha- I want to keep them happy because they're the abuser. So we start to train ourselves away from knowing what we actually want. And sadly, a lot of religion is abusive and it also trains us away from our own authentic truth what's actually true for us, what's actually right for us. By the way, this is not all religion, but some. Uh, you just get to tell for yourself what that is for you. If, uh, if your religion has you feel broader, more connected, more alive, more uh, at peace with yourself and the world, more able to love humanity with compassion and connection. And if your religion has you feel fearful, you feel like there's this war that's constantly around you, has you feel like, you know, scared of people and yourself and the world and and feels like you're judging you and yourself and others constantly and, you know, even though you're afraid of hell, you're actually in a living hell, if that's how your religion is having you feel, uh, I would say that's abusive. And by the way, I don't think in many cases it's the core of the religion itself. When I look at what, you know, Buddha said or what Christ said or what Mohammed said, I mean, what they said is actually really gorgeous. And when I get confused about what I should believe, if I'm Christian, I just say, okay, let me just look at what Christ said. If Christ said it, then let me look at that. But what somebody else said about what Christ said, why should I believe that? Hmm. Hmm. You know So, you know, I encourage you to be your own, your own uh, bell of truth, your own arbiter of what's true for you, your own connector to the divine. I really encourage that for each human being. And although I can gain wisdom from elders and from wise ones, ultimately, I have to develop my own inner wise one. That's my job. So that's what we're doing in sexual healing. We're helping them develop their own inner wise one. We're helping them reclaim that. Mostly they will have lost that. So, you know, they say, uh, one of my clients said she just wanted to wear her panties. And I said, okay. And then she said, well, should I be face up or face down on the massage table? And I said, I don't know. It's not about me. And so she said face down. And I said, great. And because we had talked a little bit beforehand and she had been uh, molested by a stepfather from I think around eight or nine until maybe about 13, I had this sense, and because she talked to me about some of the dreams she was having that were hers, the nine-year-old, I had this sense that we'd probably be working with the nine-year-old in the session. So I said, you know, I'm just gonna have you check in. You don't have to do this. And this was at her house. I said, if it feels right to you to get a stuffed animal or a blanket, if it feels like the little girl might be on the table here when we're working, then go do that. Or not. You know, really, it's not up to me. And she said, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And then she ran ran to get a stuffed animal and she ran to get a blanket so that she would have her stuffed animal and her blanket, you know, on the table. Uh, So we can make suggestions. And when we make suggestions, it's like this. This suggestion, a stuffed animal, a blanket, or something else. You could be, you know, face up, face down, or something else. You could leave your clothes on, take some of your clothes off, or something else. And the reason that we always add or something else is because it returns authority to their creative intelligence. Mm. So if I said to you, I could massage your shoulders or your feet, are you going to think that, You want me to massage your scalp? You'll think that it's only your shoulders or your feet, right? Because I've I've given you two choices. But if but you could have a headache, and you still might pick shoulders or feet. But if I said, we could, you know, massage. I could massage your shoulders. I could massage your feet, or something else that involves some kind of touch, or no touch. Then you might say, oh, you know, I really love my my temples to be massaged, because I've left it open-ended. You know, it's kind of like if I say you could have pizza or salad, you think you have to have pizza or salad. But if I say, you know, I have a whole pantry of food and fruits and vegetables and pastas and beans and all kinds of things, and you could have salad or you could have pasta or something else, then you might say, well, what else do you have in your pantry? You know, I want something else. So, or something else returns their creative authority. So when we make an offer, we're you know, once again, you can get a theme here, we're returning choice, we're returning authority, we're return, we're cultivating their inner wisdom. So if at the end of the session, the person says to us, wow, I was so, you know, they say that they themselves were so smart in that session, we've succeeded. We want them to feel like they succeeded. Not that we were a great healer. They might say, I really appreciate your support. And they need to feel like they're empowered. That's why so many sexual healers fail, is because they're trying to heal the other person. They're trying to have magic fingers. My mm. magic fingers are going to heal you. You know, my magic vulva or my magic phallus is going to heal you. No, it doesn't work like that. In sexual healing, to someone, they need to discover that magic within themselves. If we just, you know, you've heard it, you know, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, if you teach him to fish, you feed him for a lifetime, we're really trying to support them to be fed for a lifetime, come from them, not from what we do to them. So, you know, with my beloved, we would, um, and this is important if you're doing sexual healing in a relationship, schedule a session. You cannot be a sexual healer for someone 24-7. That's to be too draining it's it's not healthy for either one of you so with my own partner i would say you know thursday from six to eight i'm offering you a session and then i light the candles and i put on the music and i welcome them in and i say you know today would you know what would you you know do you want to be on the bed or on the chair or something else you know so once again we start all over every time you know what's right for you today do you want to leave your clothes off take your clothes on and just because you know, last time maybe they decided to be naked, this time they might not. It's not assuming that because something happened last time, it's going to happen this time. Because that muscle is new every day. The muscle of what's right for me right now is what needs to be cultivated in them. The ability to check inside again and check inside again is part of what where their strength will come from. And I said something really in passing a couple moments ago, and I want to go back to it is that the, when we're doing sexual healing, we need to be healing the age where the trauma happened. So I, um, I also mentor. I mentor sexual healers. I mentor DACAs and Dakinis and Tantrikas and sex workers and, and different types of somatic healers. And one of the DACAs that I had mentored he came to me and he said that there was a woman who could not have sex with her husband. That when she tried to have sex with him, she would feel really nervous, uncomfortable. If she even, you know, you know, allowed him to touch her body or her vulva, she would never orgasm. And when he was, uh, the DACA was having sessions with her, it got to the point where she was having these lovely orgasms. And then she would go home and she still couldn't have an orgasm with her husband. And I asked my mentee, I said, well, do you know if this woman has trauma? And he said, well, I think so. I think she mentioned something you know, in passing. She mentioned something in passing. And I said, do you have a sense of if it was when she was younger? And he said, I think she said something about when she was 10. And I said, well, that's who you need on the table. You need the 10-year-old on the table, not, you know, the 45-year-old woman. And, the, and you know, we adults are really, the, the psyche is very creative. And if you think of the psyche as almost uh, the planet itself, and that the planet has all these different countries, and it has unexplored territories still, you know, and it has uh, caves, and it has, like, all these things. Well, our psyche is like that. It's really vast. You know, when we've had trauma, sometimes we create, we actually leave, it's kind of like I'm going to leave England because there was trauma there, and I'm going to move to France, and I'm going to be able to have a certain kind of sexual encounter, but only in France. And in France, the sexual encounters that we have are always over wine with attractive strangers in bistros. So, when I'm having wine with an attractive stranger in a bistro, I can have sex. But, in England, we always try to have sex after having tea. So, we have tea, and we sit down, and we talk. And, you know, if I try to sit down and talk to someone and then have sex, I just can't. I just can't. Because I've left England, and I can't have sex like that. So, that actually limits who we are sexually. And one of the ways that some of us in trauma uh, develop a way to have sex in, in our mental France is with strangers. So we end up being capable of having sex and erections or orgasms with strangers. And we, and because the trauma happened with a family member, or it happened with, a you know, a religious figure, or it happened with a very beloved, uh, authority figure, the person that feels intimate to us ends up feeling like the perpetrator. So until we actually go back in time and really re what happened when we were 5 or 10 or 2 or 15 or whenever that happened, and actually address returning authority and returning empowerment and choice and, and that healing back to that moment, we'll still be able to have sex with strangers but not with someone who's truly intimate to us. So So that's also key. So when I was doing the sexual healing sessions with my partner. Uh, we actually invited the little boy to be present in those sessions, the little, you know, the little uh, eight-year-old or the little nine-year-old. And I would, you know, I would say, you know, once again, it's not a have to, but I might say, you know, I'm, I'm going to offer that it might be additive to have the little eight-year-old here or the nine-year-old or, or some part, younger self or something else. And at first, you know, he was saying, like, oh, well, I'm not sure if I even connect with that little boy anymore, but I guess he could be around. He could be around. And I started to give him a two-hour session every I think every week or two weeks. And this is very fascinating. is, is we'd be, You know, we were a couple. We were sleeping together. And about three months in, he woke up in the middle of the night, and he said, did you hear them? I, and I, it, this is now, like, two in the morning. And I said, "Hear who, honey?" And because between waking and sleeping, he said, "The lepers." And I said, "What lepers?" He said, "The lepers from the island. They're coming." And I said, as he was waking up, I said, "You know, honey, if it were my dream, and I was dreaming of lepers that had gotten free from the island and were coming, I, I would imagine that they were parts of me. That I had shunned, you know, that I put away, because what's more disgusting than leprosy?" And I put them away and shunned them. And then they were now coming back into my life. And another three months later, he woke up in the middle of the night, and he's approximately three months, this was not by the clock. Uh, He woke up in the middle of the night and he said, did you hear them, did you hear them? And I said, hear who? And he said it was a mother and a child lover, and that they were outside the house. And I said, well, if it were my dream, I might think that it was my my inner feminine and my inner little boy that were coming back. And then another three months, they were outside the bedroom door. And then within like a few weeks, they were next to the bed. And it is, And so you could see where the, the psyche. And the psyche communicates to us in a symbolic language, by the way. So the psyche, mm-hmm. our brain, communicates to us in a symbolic language. So if we dream of lepers, it's not that we're actually going to get leprosy. It's, you know, we start to think of what could that mean symbolically. It's part of us that we've shunned. If we dream of a mother, it doesn't mean that, you know, something's going to happen to our mother or that we're going to become a mother necessarily. Uh, but it might mean it might mean that there's something about being nurtured or an inner nurturer that wants to come home. If we dream about... Uh, Um, One of my clients would dream that she was a murderer. She always dreamed that she was a murderer, over and over, she would imagine like strangling people or shooting people, she was so afraid that she was actually a murderer. And that when we did her session, uh, and we did a hypnosis to talk to the murderer, I I knew that she had been molested when she was three and on, like maybe like three to thirteen Molestations in many families will end around puberty. Not always. Sometimes they'll go until the child leaves the house at you know, 14, 17, 18. Uh, but in a percentage of time, they'll also end around puberty. And so hers, I think, had gone to like three to 13 or so. And when I you know, met the murderer in hypnosis with her, I asked the murderer, did you kill the little girl? did you kill the little girl to keep her safe? And the murderer said yes. So once the, the psyche is so brilliant, right? It, it creates its own murderer. like It's it's like Sleeping Beauty or, or, or um, Snow White. Uh, the psyche works a lot on a very mythic reality, a very fairy tale in many ways reality. So this murderer kills the little girl, puts her in stasis to actually keep her safe kind of like Snow White, is put into the glass coffin. And I asked the murderer, do you know where this little girl is? And the murderer said, yes. And then I asked the murderer and the adult woman to look around, her eyes are closed, but to look around her life and to notice, is her life safe enough now to bring the little girl back to life? And so she looked, they looked, And she said, yes, it's safe enough now to bring the little girl back. So then in hypnosis, we went to find the little girl and actually bring her back and bring her back into aliveness in this woman. And when our little inner child is alive in us, we have innocence, we have wonder. Uh, The child in us probably loves the most deeply. He's probably the most loyal in love. Uh, The child in us can is part of what really lets lets us savor a sunset, uh, a shooting star, a butterfly. There's like a level of of appreciating the beauty of being alive that, if we, for whatever reason, have 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 killed off or put away or hidden the young self because of trauma, then some part of our aliveness is missing to us, mm-hmm. and so she was able to bring back this little girl and then suddenly when I said how how does the murderer look now where before he looked really scary suddenly he looked like Mr. Rogers she said like now he's wearing a sweater and he you know and he instead of being a murderer he became a, he became a protector so you know the psyche is just really amazing and it speaks to us through dreams it speaks to us it's speaking a symbolic language it's not a one-to-one language through fantasies this actually can help a lot of people People will often wonder, like, why do I fantasize about this? I, I didn't think I wanted that. Why do I fantasize about that hurtful thing or that crazy thing? Sometimes it's really the psyche trying to give us a message. And it's not a one-to-one message. Uh, so uh, there was, uh, when I was studying about fantasy in psychology, there was uh, a psychoanalyst from London who wrote a book. It's, it's right here. <laughs> Let me see if I can get the right name for you. So I just ordered it. Um, the Erotic Mind, Unlocking the Inner Sources of Sexual Passion and Fulfillment. The mm. Erotic Mind is the main title. And I studied with him in person and then had, didn't have the book. So I just recently was like, oh, I need that book. Uh, so he talked about working with a woman who would always fantasize that she was driving uh, in a high-speed car in a, in a freeway. It was a red convertible and that there was a a dark haired man that was driving the convertible at high speeds and that she would start to you know pleasure him you know with her hand pleasure his phallus and then she would actually climb on top of him while they were driving at high speeds in this you know red convertible and this fantasy was so overwhelming that she couldn't have sex without thinking about it and she was uh had fallen in love she wanted to get married and she she felt uh, limited in her sexuality, in her sexual expression, because this fantasy would just, was overwhelming for her. It was like it had taken up all of her sexuality. In a way. And the psychoanalyst was working with her, and as he started to unpack her life, it turned out that when she was 13, her favorite older brother had died in a car accident, and he had died on the freeway, Uh, He had been driving, he'd been hit hit by a big truck, and as they continued to unpack this, what the psychoanalyst saw and and had her eventually have this aha moment is that the driver in a way looked like her brother. I mean, not exactly, but you know, her brother had dark hair, you know, the driver was actually about the same age as her brother would have been. When he died, uh, that, you know, in a sense, the the red uh, convertible represented the blood. And there's a concept called Eros and Thanatos. We always hear about Eros. We don't hear about Thanatos. Eros is not just our genitals. Eros is not just erotic literature. Eros is actually the life force. The life force. It is like Kundalini, Chi, Prana, Ashe. It is... A, the energy of aliveness that's meant to flow throughout our entire bodies and just and have us feel you know just just tinglingly alive in life and eros is the part of us that keeps us you know alive in life Well, thanatos is the death force so when we're grieving when someone dies when there's a tragedy a big loss and we're like oh. You know, how many times have you heard that when one, you know, long-term couple, when one person dies within a year, the other person dies? It's because they're in Thanatos. You know, the death force is present, the grieving, the loss. Uh, We've always heard of when there's like a a big loss, someone's hair turns a gray overnight. You know, that's Thanatos. Thanatos is this death force. So here she was at 13, just on the edge of her puberty, and her favorite brother dies so how brilliant is the psyche to keep her and her brother alive in a way by creating this erotic fantasy and i didn't tell you that the fantasy appeared about the time she was 13. so eros comes to thanatos it's why we can fantasize after we've been raped and here's its traumatic experience but now we fantasize about being raped becomes erotic for us. So it becomes erotic because the life force is trying to take away the death force. So the the rape was traumatic, it was death. And so the erotic energy comes to try to keep us alive. One of my clients, um, he said, you know, Francesca, I keep uh, thinking about wanting these cuckolding scenarios. So cuckolding would mean that he would watch his partner have sex with another man because I, I, I don't know like do I want to actually have cocoa happen I'm so confused and I said well tell me does this happen all the time and he said no and I said well when does it happen and he said every time that his girlfriend a, a girlfriend would break up with him He would have these fantasies of watching her have sex with her new boyfriend. And I said, wow, your psyche is so brilliant. Let me tell you about Eros and Thanatos. So Thanatos is the breakup, the grieving, it's the sadness of losing someone that's important to you. And Eros is the life force. So it's so brilliant that, that your psyche is turning this grieving into something erotic. And he says oh you know it's it's my psyche doesn't want me to to be too depressed it doesn't want me to grieve too much and i said yep there you go (laughs) i said because honey it's only there every time you break up so clearly it's your psyche giving you a message to say stay alive don't get too depressed i I said you know you can go and have a cult cuckolding experience if you want to there's nothing wrong with that and i just invite you to try on which feels right to you that you need to actualize this fantasy or, or that it actually is helping to keep you alive when you're going through this grieving. I was yeah, I think it's the second. Is it okay? So sometimes we have this eroticism of the trauma. Even you could say my partner who, who cheated on every relationship and had you know more sex, more sex, more sex, was trying to eroticize how, how bad he felt about his penis. By trying to have more sex more sex more sex he was trying to prove that his penis was okay he was trying to eroticize in a way the trauma but it never got to the trauma more better different doesn't get us into healing so so we're having these two hour sessions uh where i'm returning authority to him where uh you know i i sometimes will say to a client you know i've got two hands I could, you know, put a hand on your body. I could you could put a hand on your body. I could put a hand over your hand or you could put a hand over my hand or something else. And, you know, I could bless your body. I could rock your body or something else. I could, you know, you know, it's like it's like options, options. And, and I wouldn't go this fast because like I said, it would if the 2-hour session I just gave them one set of options and they're thinking about it for 2 hours. That's fine because they're staying true to themselves. But little by little, with my partner, it was at a point where he wanted to be held. So he wanted to be held, he wanted to be rocked. So I would hold his body, rock his body, sometimes put a hand on his heart chakra, uh, a hand on his heart chakra, sometimes have one on the heart chakra, one cradling the genitals. And I would say, Probably a good eighty five percent of the sexual healing work that I do, maybe it could even be ninety five percent, has nothing to do with arousal. Mm -hmm. It's much more about calling the spirit home to the body. Mm -hmm. Having the person feel like they're can return to their own authority in their own body, especially from the age that the trauma happened. It's like returning that eight-year-old to the body i think the dreams were so perfect of showing how that eight-year-old was returning uh or returning the 10-year-old or returning the five-year-old or in some cases with some people depending on how long the trauma was you might be working at different ages at different times and so little by little uh and i would say too if you wanted to fall asleep during the session you know there's no pressure there's no have to there's nowhere to go there's nothing to get to other than you staying true to yourself if you're my client. You know, as long as you're staying true to you, then the session is a success. Uh, sometimes when we're in the, um, not with my partner, but with other clients, sometimes we'll go a little bit more in the direction of, of a role play where they're, uh, at their choice, once again, it's not about me, but at their choice, Sometimes they're embodying something about what happened. So I had a, a physician who flew in from the Midwest, who had been discovered when he was a little boy. He'd been discovered in his mother's lingerie. He loved, you know, it was, it was soft, it was silky. It had boa, you know, the boa feathers from the day, you know, back in like the '50s or so. Uh, you know, the little marabou on the, you know, 90s. And he would put on his mother's nylons, and he was discovered by his mother. And he was beaten, and he was shamed. And once again, because the psyche is brilliant, the psyche eroticized that. The psyche you know, brought Eros to Thanatos, so the shaming was a death. And so since that moment from a little boy, when he would want to be sexual, he would always think back to that moment. So now he's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Uh, maybe even 70, and he's still going back to that moment because it was never complete when he was shamed. And what he chose with me was uh, to actually replicate that scenario in a new way. So he had me uh, dress as the 1950s mama. Uh, I actually bought him lingerie. And uh, we had talked about all this beforehand. And there's an intake, by the way, that I do, a very in-depth intake about trauma. And I have, a, you know, usually an hour phone call before the session even happens. And the sessions are a minimum of two hours. Sometimes they're longer. His was like four. And he, we actually spent two hours at the table going deeper into the intake about his trauma. And just going deeper into the intake and having him share even more and having me Know, reframe a lot for him, normalize a lot for him. He said that the two hours, that two hours was so healing. And then when we did the role play where he dressed in lingerie, and he, I said, do you want me to be the angry mama where you find your voice, where you say, I get to like silk and lingerie, and you don't get to tell me what to do, or do you want me to be the nurturing mother, the approving mother? And he said, the approving mother is when I came into the door and he was in the room and he was wearing lingerie, I went, oh, honey, you're wearing my lingerie. that makes so much sense. You know, you've always been a very sensual child. You know, from when you were just a baby, I used to take my silk scarves and drag them across your body and you would giggle and you would laugh. And, you know, it just would make sense that you would find this. And, and he's like, oh, it's okay, mama. It's really okay. And I said, well, does it, does it, don't you love the colors? Isn't it so soft? And he's like, it is so soft. It is so soft. And uh, and he said, you know, can, would you hold me? And I said, yes. And as I was holding holding him, and he hadn't said anything about this, I said, do you have a little pillow?" inside? And he said, yes. Does she have a name? He said, Wanda. (laughs) And I said, I'm the luckiest mother in the whole world because I have a little boy and a little girl. You know, and he got tears in his eyes because one of the things, you know, the whole gender fluid, gender queer, um, gender, you know, compilations that we're having today, it's just starting to come out, but it's always been there. But there was no space, none, none, for people to have that inside themselves back in the 1950s. None. So he had never told anyone. And I think he came, I think he was like in his 70s when he had the session. He had never told anyone that he had a little girl inside him. And, you know, and I just, you know, spent the entire four hours, really, in unconditional positive regard. And this is also key unconditional positive regard this is the nutrient that we wished we'd always got from our family and most of us didn't Where nothing that the child could possibly do is bad or wrong you know sometimes there's discipline to be set sometimes there's inculturation uh, you know like in our country this is what we do but I don't have to make you wrong as a child so let's say you want to eat off the floor you know the dogs do why can't you you know, you like dogs, something spilled, the dog licks it off the floor, you should too. And there's a, a point when children will just do that, you know, they'll lick things off the floor. And I don't have to yell, I don't have to shame, I don't have to, I can just go, oh, here honey. You know? what? you know, in our culture, what we do is we, we eat off a pretty plate. You want to pick the plate? Which plate do you think is the most pretty? You know, I can just turn it into something rather than yell and scream or whatever. You know, there, there's no reason to yell and scream. And if a child is like, but I want to be like the puppy, then I might be like, okay, <laughs> we can have times where we'll be like the puppy. <laughs> and, and then, you know, figure out that there are times because puppies are fun, you know, where we get to crawl around on the floor and go fetch something and bring it back and roll around together and nuzzle. I mean, that's good stuff. So we can figure out times to do that. And then we go, okay, now it's human time. <laughs> you know, so you just do that. And, you know, I, I personally feel there's there's just not a reason to make something wrong or to make a child wrong. There's just no reason. There's always a way. And my job as a parent is actually to be smarter. And, and smarter means to be able to be creative to figure these things out without having to make the child wrong. That's actually a really smart parent. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my... Um, teachers once said when a child when a child makes a mistake you know they're licking something off the floor or whatever when a child makes a mistake they haven't done anything wrong they're just being a child and then it's our role as the adults to stay in a mature adult state to be actually the mature one that can figure out a way to work with what they just did to work with it. That's our job. And I realized at a certain point that I had not been raised by adults. I had been raised for mature adults. That many times the adults around me are older people, older bodies, masquerading over wounded children. So many of the people in our world today are older, so the bodies are older, but they're still wounded little children. Wounded little children yelling and screaming, wounded little children having tantrums, wounded little children that are now running for political office, wounded little children that are running companies, wounded little children that now have guns, you know, it's they're actually trying to still survive their wounded childhood, and they're not mature-centered adults. Because when we're in our mature, centered adult place, we're creative, we're fluid, we can think of options, we can think ahead. That's a sign of being in our mature, adult-centered place. And so anytime that I don't think like, oh, there's only one option, anytime I'm feeling reactive, I am no longer in my mature adult space. Now, I don't have to make myself wrong for that because I get triggered and I do have wounds from my past. Just the other day, one of my students was asking me about uh, more information about my background as a teacher. And I found myself getting very, like, very uh, angry, like, kind of snarky, kind of like almost like saying, Well, why are you asking? Me? Well, why did you want to know? Well, yes, I have a degree, you know, like kind of talking like that. And later I sat myself down and I said, Francesca, what was that about? And I unpacked it and I thought, Wow. This is from something younger in me, where I felt like I was never good enough. Mm. This is that little girl. Uh, my mom was like kind of a, mens- a Mensa scholar. She was really brilliant and and she was bipolar. So I sometimes say it was the best of times and the worst of times. And there was a way that she could be very vilifying, very angry, she could also be very nurturing. But I grew up always thinking that I would never be good enough and that I wasn't good enough. And so I sat my student down later and I said, I want I want to really apologize and I want to out myself that when you were asking me about my background, I wasn't being my centered adult self. I was being a triggered child, you know, and you didn't deserve that. And, and these are some of the things that I think this is coming from. And as I explained it to her, she was like, oh, thank you so much because I could tell that something was off and, you know, I felt unsafe and now I feel closer to you and know and that's the journey part of our own journey in healing is to reveal where we would normally conceal to notice that anytime I have a big reaction anytime I have a yeah pretty much a big reaction or a reaction anytime I'm reactive instead of proactive I've been kidnapped by my past so anytime I'm reactive versus proactive I've been kidnapped by my past and it's my job, once again, if I think I want to be a sexual healer or even a successful human being, it's my job to do the work to say, why am I being reactive versus proactive? And, and by the way, just because there's um, a trigger, reactivity, doesn't mean that there's not something to ask in the present. So let's say, you know, I might say to her, uh, next time you ask me, could you ask me this way so I can still make a request you know could you ask me this way instead of that way I still get to ask or if there was a boundary to set let's say she I was working and focused when she came in and and in a sense interrupted my focus I might say you know it's, it's going to help me be more present to you and more centered with you if you can make appointments to talk to me versus just coming in when I'm in my focus time that's jarring for me that's not against you by the way that it's
0: Wait, it seems like I'm missing her voice. I'm missing your voice, Francesca. Hello? Something happened with your voice. Are you there? Can you hear me now? Yes, I was missing your voice.
1: Hello, hello? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Just a second. I'm realizing that I need to replug my computer in. <laughs> Hi. <laughs>
0: okay. That's
1: great.
0: <laughs> so back.
1: I'm back. Yay. Um. So, what I was get, getting back once again, it's a long story to tell the story of my uh, partner's sexual healing, is it took about nine months. It took regular sessions. It took, you know, the rest of the time we had a, a normal relationship where we were just, you know, negotiating as couples do, you know, what we each needed. We had, you know, we made love other times. Um, and charging yeah and one of the amazing things because remember I said that we're all healing together right Uh, and that my integrity as a healer is actually doing my own healing Mm -hmm. so near the end of the nine months where you know remember the little boy kept coming closer and closer in his dreams I We had sex, like, you know, the normal way of having sex, whatever that is. Uh, And after we had sex, I felt frustrated. I felt out of sorts. And I don't know about you, but have you ever felt that, you know, those of you who are watching or listening, you know, have you ever felt that moment where you had sex? You know, maybe orgasms or ejaculation happened but you still feel unsatisfied. You feel like something was off. And I felt that. Well, in the old days, you know, before I had engaged in a lot of this inner work, I would have blamed him. I would have said, well, hmm, he did something wrong. He didn't touch me the way he used to touch me. He didn't kiss me the way he used to kiss me. He is the problem. But because in sexual healing and in healing work, we start to take personal responsibility. And I decided to look inside. So I looked inside to see who inside me is upset by this. And I saw this little girl. I saw this little four-year-old girl with her arms crossed and tapping her foot. And she was like, and I kind of woke him up and I said, honey. I think the little girl inside me is, is upset by something in our sexuality. And he said, do you know what it is? I don't know. Let me check. So I closed my eyes. And she wasn't talking to me at that time. And I said, I think she wants to be included. And, and he said, well, do you know how? And I closed my eyes. And I said, I think she wants a bed picnic. And I described for him, him like a little tray, you know, little cheeses and little fruits and you know, little chocolates or cookies and on the bed, and he said, I can do that. But the next time we had a date, he had the little, the little bed picnic, and I took off all my makeup and I put on a flannel nightgown. And when I came out, I really tried to embody the little girl. And I'm going to try putting in my headset again. And we'll see if this works. I don't know if it works, does it work? Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I tried to embody the little girl. You like me? And he said something really brilliant because the child in us can all loves very deeply, but can also tell the truth. The, the child in us tells the lie from the truth. He said. I don't know if I like you because I don't know you. And then she said, would you like to? And he said yes. Mm -hmm. So he fed her a little bit and then she disappeared. And I said, she's gone. And he said, well, was that okay? And I said, yeah, I just think that that was a lot for her. That's the most that that young, innocent part of me has ever been out in the world and uh but i think it was a success so a few weeks later we're, we're making love and i'm on top and suddenly i feel that sort of unsatisfied you know frustration and i said i think it's the little girl again just a second so i close my eyes and when i open my eyes she's there and i looked down at him and i and i said you have a little boy and now remember we've been doing nine months of healing and he said i don't know let me check and he closed his eyes and he opened them and he said, yes, I have a little boy. And then she said, can he come out and play? And He closed his eyes, goes, let me check. And when he opened his eyes, it was with total innocence, with total love and innocence. And my little girl who was total love and innocence and his little boy that were total love and innocence made love and it was with, I. it wasn't pretending. It wasn't, it was just being this, beauty and I've really never made love before like that or since then and it was so incredibly bonding for both of us and I wouldn't say that was the healing I would say that that was the result of the healing was the capacity to make love with that kind of raw joy and innocence and if you had asked him nine months previous do you have a little boy? He would have denied it because that's a wound that many of the masculine have. They've been shamed out of that little boy. They've been beaten out of that little boy. Stop crying like a wimp. Stop crying like a wuss. You know, they've been, they've been um, brutalized in order to get them to be like a real man and a tough man and a whatever. So they lose this, the depth of their innocence, the depth of their love, the depth of their sensitivity to life and and pleasure. And, you know, I believe that most men could really benefit by, even if they've never had the kind of trauma that my partner had, by some sexual healing to just soften the armor and to really allow the little boy to feel like he's safe, to come forward again in the world. And and there's a point, whether we're working with a, a male bodied or a female bodied or some other bodied, is to also bless the genitals. To, and sometimes that doesn't even mean touching them. You know, because once again, who's going to choose? It's The person who's receiving, whether or not they're touched or not touched. But just to be able to look at someone's genitals and say, I see this part of you as the font of life and existence. I see this part of you as divine and belonging to the sacred I mean you kind of let it flow sometimes you might we might need to engage in our own inner healing to be able to speak like that to another person but just to be spoken to like that and to be have our genitals seen like that can just be so profound that can also be a very healing thing to do so um, yeah, I just uh, realizing it's like, oh my goodness, it's already 130 is 1:30 um, my time. Uh, 430 your time. But it's I just wanted to you know thank thank you, Lucia so much and thank everybody who sees this or watches this. for really being on the road together. I see us all like holding hands of creating a world, a world in which sexuality is a blessing which every time we touch ourselves or another person, it's nourishing, it's connective, it's healing, it's empowering. And that world is a world without rape. It's a world without consent violations. It's a world without molestation. It's a world in which all of us are honored, our choices are honored, and which in which we feel safe in our bodies, in our hearts, in our sex. Mm. I love it. I love it. It, it it was such
0: a um for all of us who, uh, who are watching and sharing your stories, um, there's so much wisdom and so much wealth of information, not just for whoever wants to help people to heal their sexuality at a deeper level, but also for those who don't know what sexual healing is about. And what I love about these, Story and this uh, this work um, that is something that resonates with me so well is the aspect of healing in a child at a deeper deeper level and ask and literally working like you mentioned we gotta work at the at the the time that happened the trauma happened and I believe that um, there's so much healing to do and that we, we Yeah, like I mean, Pat, like you're like helping people to heal this, and it was interesting to see the statistic. Statistic that one out of of three women are being sexually abused at a younger age, and out of five uh, boys, kids, um, men, are being sexually abused at a very young age, which is kind of fascinating to see the statistic and. how that affect people's life, in their sexuality and the sexuality in a long term, even until they like, die about 80, 60, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old, 90 years old, they still carry this trauma, this karma, this stuff about the childhood that had not been properly healed and let go. And also, it's very important that you mentioned is every single one of us has that inner child, that need to be um, kept innocent and that's what we're missing in sexuality, that innocent, sacred uh, act of being in a true power. Um, there's so much wealth in what you share that I took all my notes and um, and I love the fact that you really um, share it that um, one of the things that I love with, sharing the fact of becoming um, the creative therapy. If you're gonna be watching, just watching right now I invite you to really kind of like watch the whole interview because there's so much through the story there's like a couple metaphors and a couple like a lot of tools that sexual healers have to go through a life journey of transformation themselves to be able to discover this. Um, discovering the healing aspect of the inner child I'm the wounded child, and also many aspects of the multidimensional self. It is not a journey that you really experience in a book, or you're gonna find it on like in a school or something else. But it's actually the journey that of a sexual healer herself, and what we really go through in our life to be able to bring this into uh, into our work. So the, the inner child is is. It's very important for us, as human and a being, to really tap in, into and see what aspect of our inner child wants to let go of the trauma, and um, and from there co-create a, 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 and reclaim our authority, reclaim our power, and co-create a life that we desire. Um, there's so much great content, and lot of Arrows and the Sattagos. I'm still, I mean, I don't know if I spell that all right, but the contrast of the light and the dark of this aspect of sexuality, which is very important to recognize um, the aspect of the, you know, the, the grieving and the aspect of the light. So I really love that whole concept too that you share because, like again, I said it, not many people share this depth of work and, uh, an hour and a half of the interview. <laughs> it, was all, it was great. It's great. Um, and, yeah, so for those who are, you know, we talk about today, sexy, sexual healing at home or abroad. Or it's actually, you know, I'm going to wrap it up with the fact that, you know, you are the sexual healer of your own life you are the one in power and control. And um, the women and people, men, that facilitate and help you to get the sexual healing uh, are the one that hold, uh, hold the container for you. And, uh, yeah, so it was such an in-depth conversation that I really encourage you to review it. It takes a lot of note. I took a lot of note. Um, and also, before we leave, I honor you, uh, Francesca, for speaking about the aspect of honoring our genitalia. Honoring and, and, and connecting with our genitalia. Um, I have had also the same experience with uh, different people and even men in their life is where they have disconnected and they don't feel their peanut. they don't feel the power in their penis, they don't feel like they feel, they have these these egocentric, uh, you know, shadow yeah. within them that make them feel like to be a man they're supposed to look this big, they're supposed to have a big, you know, dick or cock, whatever they want to call it to, uh, and they have to look this big and they have to be circumcised or they have to do this and they have to have hair, no hair, there's such a shame on the body image of the genitalia, not just for men, but also for women, where at that point women even bring, you know, they go into surgery to do plastic surgery in, the, in the, the vagina, for the lips and all that stuff, which is like such a traumatic experience to the body. I love the fact that you brought up home that we need to uh, connect and really associate and really honor our every single aspect of ourselves and incorporate all that into a flow of energy and creativity. Uh, it is really beautiful and amazing to see men step to the power and reclaiming their, um, their, their you know, the penis put it this way, reclaiming the power of the, the beauty of, of just the way it is and um, seeing men like, you know, it can happen anyway like in a concert when you power into, into honor themselves for who they are, it's beautiful and delightful. And um, yeah, so i like, thank you for touching into that too. Because that's sexual healing, believe it or not. It's not about just going there, you know, doing something different. Sexual healing, true sexual healing start within you start working with shadows, you're in a child, you're um, embodying and becoming present with yourself, it is like tuning into your sensuality, we are awakening the aspect of yourself, being in your creative power, in your authority, in all those aspects, and yes, so it's all that juicy, juicy aspect of self. So thank you, thank you so much for such a. How the people can get to know more about you? Workshop. I know that you have um, a couple events. I know that you're going to Puerto Rico tomorrow for like a trauma.
1: Do you want to share? How can they find you? Um, uh, absolutely. Uh, I also want to say that for those who are watching or listening, sometimes you might be doing laundry or washing the dishes while you're, you know, listening in the background is, uh, you can email me at relationship at gmail.com. That's relationship at gmail.com. And I'm happy to give you a free 45 minute phone consult. And we'll go deeper into what's happening in your life. And, you know, some resources, I may or may not be a match for you, but I'm always happy to help. And I'm for people that are listening as well i'm happy to send them a document about the inner aspects that we just touched on with the inner child but that is really about how do we work with the inner selves and the different ages to give us start to give us an access for how do we look at that and why does that make sense to us so uh and my name is francesca gentile f-r-a-n-c-e-s-c-a g-e-n-t-i-l-l-e and if you google that or that's actually my website you'll find me and I hope that you'll be connected I look forward to giving you more resources and you Lucia I hope to stay connected with you and I keep imagining wonderful things we might be able to do together so um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely would love to
0: um, to collaborate something, something like I am mean, um, in I'm going to be telling you about my, my project that's coming out for next year, which will be incredible. Um, but let me see. Um, yes, and, and you come to sexual healing, so this is one of the, the things that I would love to. Okay, yes. So I would just now another question if somebody has questions in there. All right, so this is what we have for you today. amazing. You know that you can find me at LuciaGabriella.com. Um, and we have amazing uh, event coming up in Ecuador 2017, which is going to be beautiful, powerful, and a lot of deep, deep work. But I am so honored and grateful for Francesca for being here today, and uh, we learned so much. But again, review this interview, takes a lot of note. There was a lot of a lot of great concept that only a person that has gone through actual sexual healing can speak from. Because there's so many books and so many readings out there that sometimes they don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. About They just think that it sounds right and it sounds aligning, alignment, alignment, but they have no idea what really has gone on. And until somebody who has gone through this whole process of healing, like I said before, that ain't a child from the get-go, the shadow work, the whole aspect of self I'm, I'm all level multidimensionalities. If you know, that's how we started with the work and eh? there's no cookie cutter, there's no like quick quick easy stuff. There's deep work. It's not like somebody's gonna give you a pill magic wand or something like that and you're gonna be healed sexually. These take time and transformation. Francesca with like one one person can go through a nine month program, a nine month pro uh, you know, process. And that's, you know, that's a sure one, <laughs> you know, there's some of them, that are like, years, but it is not years because you're addicted to it, but because you're really purging heal healing so much. So I really encourage you to trust yourself and allow yourself to be in this amazing journey of sexual healing, which is very powerful. Will help you to manifest the meet and lover that you want in your life, to have a great relationship, intimate, epic, orgasmic life, attract money to your life, have the best, great career. Because all that shit that is holding you back from being your true creative self is going to be less and less and less, and you're going to be more of you. So, thank you again. Check me out on Facebook and YouTube. Subscribe to my YouTube channel subscribe to Facebook, and I'm going to be bringing you more amazing speakers to help you um, be the best of yourself and live an incredible orgasmic life like you deserve and worth, you are worthy of. So, thank you, Francesca, your final word, and I love you, girl. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye, Facebook.
1: Bye. <laughs>